0: we're back in first samuel page 116 towards the bottom of the right hand column of the page uh, and we're seeing that Saul is losing power the spirit of god left Saul and king and king david is anointed he's not put on the throne yet but he is the anointed and when Saul is uh, off the throne david will take over the emphasis of 1 Samuel now shifts away from Saul toward David. Top of page 117, the left-hand column, David's name becomes well known in Israel after his amazing victory over the Philistine giant Goliath, and you can read that in chapter 17. So just be careful when you're uh, preaching through the the history of David and Goliath to not make the common um, the common preaching. I suppose error where we say, watch out for the Goliaths in our life, you know, pray to God for the giants of whatever the trouble is, whatever sin or struggle you're going through and that you spiritualize the text. We we have a tendency to do this and we just have to be careful when you're preaching something like David and Goliath, preach the text, be careful to ask who, what, when, where, why, how. See what the text is saying. Find the point of the text. Make sure that you're seeing in the text the main characters. And notice that the primary character in the story of David and Goliath is Yahweh, God. He is the one whose honor is at stake. And David, as a young man, as merely almost a child, he stands up for the glory of God and says, I will stand up. I know that God will defend his own honor and his glory. And David faithfully uh, goes out to battle and God delivers David and Goliath dies. So what's the point of the story? The point of the story is that David trusted God and God elevated God's name, his own name. So if we are to, to tell people in our congregations, Look at the David and Goliath. Uh, God strengthened David to slay his giant, and he'll strengthen you to slay your giant. Well, we're changing the main characters of the text actually to ourselves. Be careful not to do that. The main character of that text is God. And yes, of course we have battles and we face as it were, giants of different kinds in our life. Different people have different temptations. But that's really not what's being dealt with in First Samuel 17. What's being dealt with is the, the king, uh, the anointed king of Israel, who's not reigning yet, is acting in defense of the name of Yahweh. And God glorifies himself in this act and honors the one who Honors him. So, what you can tell your congregation is, when you're struggling with sin, like Israel was struggling with sin because they were unwilling to defend the honor of God, um, look out for uh, opportunities to begin honoring God. Repent of your sin, exalt the Lord, honor Him, put Him forth, and see if over time God doesn't honor the one who honors Him. See if in due time um, you're, you, you don't have blessing and peace and joy and patience and love and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit that comes forth as you honor God, as you um, do what He calls you to do, and see if God won't honor Himself in your life. Now, that's really what 1 Samuel 17 is about, so take care on that point. Now, the story changes to David and David ends up serving Saul. David becomes great friends with uh, Jonathan. David receives uh, the marriage of Michal because of his fighting uh, Goliath. Remember, Saul had said, whoever ends up killing this man will be able to marry my daughter. And so David ends up marrying her. So now the... the uh, two kings, as it were, King Saul, who's still on the throne and King David, who's the anointed king, but not yet on the throne. They're actually, as it were, family members, David and Jonathan are great friends. And Saul, as this evil spirit comes on Saul, Saul tries to kill David multiple times. And in chapter 24 and then chapter 26, David is clearly seen as the better man. Because two times David has Saul uh, directly in his sight where he could kill him. And chapter 24, verse 6, David says to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. David had total victory over Saul, but he did not uh, attack him. And then we can look at chapter 26, and we see that uh, in verse 10, "...as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike down him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed." But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did they wake, for they were all asleep deep, uh, because of a deep sleep. For the Lord had fallen upon them in this way. So David was there, Saul sleeping, and David uh, takes, uh, makes proof that he was there, but he did not. He did not kill him. And so David is clearly seen as the better man. Now, another topic that will probably cause some uh, discussion is Saul's final step in decline. Back to page 117, 117 of Benware. The final step, step in Saul's decline was his involvement with the witch of Endor. Chapter 28, verses 1 through 21. And this is after the death of Samuel in chapter 25, verse 1. It became clear to Saul that God had ceased all communication with him. In chapter 28, 6, when he he was faced with another invasion by the Philistines, Saul was frightened and sought the Lord. When God failed to answer him, Saul entered the realm of the occult. A man with so much potential and with such a notable start ended up so poorly. Very next day, Saul died on the battlefield. It was an unnecessary and tragic end, but the inevitable end of one who does not know and reverence God. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy 18, because whatever we want to say about the witch of Endor, and oftentimes when people talk about this text, what they do is they they look and say, hey, you know, can people come back to life? And what of, what of um, Samuel? Was this really Samuel? Was this not Samuel? Was this someone acting like Samuel, uh, like a, a demon who's taking on the person of Samuel? Was this somehow allowed? Was it not allowed? Well, I think if we know the law of God, we can stop right there. You know, obviously, this is to the nation of, of Israel, and we're dealing with the nation of Israel, so Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18, uh, verses nine through one, uh, nine through eleven. Let's let's look at that, and it deals with this exact issue. Um, by the way, one of the things you should note, whenever you're making a choice or whenever you're judging a matter and saying was it right or wrong, in this case, was it right or wrong for Saul to do this thing? the first step in making that choice ought to be that you look at the relevant scriptures that would talk about that thing. And so that's exactly what we're doing when we go back to Deuteronomy 18. Let's look at the relevant scriptures, the ones that pertain to this. Now, Deuteronomy 18 in your Bibles, verse nine, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be Among you, anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes, interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So whatever it is that Saul is doing and whatever happens with Saul and Samuel, whatever interpretation we take of 1 Samuel 28 May it be clearly understood that every single part of Samuel, of Saul, rather, going to the witch of Endor is sin. It's an abomination to God. It is not to be touched at all. And at this point we can also say that as you look at the New Testament for the church, someone might possibly make the argument that this was for the Old Testament that Deuteronomy is speaking, and you would be right. But God's opinion of divination or sorcery has not changed. If you look at Galatians 5, I'm reading from verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So look at that at verse 20. It mentions sorcery as one of those things that is a sin that shows that you are not one who uh, is indwelled by the Spirit, who's been converted. If you're practicing continually these things, It's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the flesh is not the product of the Spirit of God's work within believers. And so if the work of the Spirit of God is not evident, then there's good reason to question, are you really indwelled by the Spirit? Because the Spirit does not fail in doing His good work in the life of every believer. And so we come to the end of the book of 1 Samuel, starting out with the hope that Israel had that their king would lead them and lead them into victory. And indeed, uh, it does not work out that way, but the great king David is coming and things will be different under him.